months after my mother died, I was not my best self. I had an almost one-year-old baby, a two-year-old, and a three-year-old. I was deep into a season of grief and postpartum, and I totally wanted out. And I hate admitting this, but I'm a runner. I don't run from people. I'm actually really loyal, but I am not loyal to myself. I like to escape feelings and pain. I used to avoid these things with all of the classics. <laughs> Pharmaceuticals, liquor, bad company. I would say yes to things that I didn't even want to do because the feeling of fear was easier than the feeling of sadness. I became sober a decade ago and I've since cycled through the different systems of avoidance. I mean, I've gotten good at it. I've used food, work, food again, money, shopping, and did I mention food, specifically cake? In God's absolute mercy and a lot of surrender, some 12-step programs and therapy, I avoid pain a lot less now. But there was a sneaky little root that lingered when all these illusions of control moved aside. Something I never expected. Pride. When these tricks to avoid something start to be ineffective, people are a great substitute. In an effort to avoid feelings that were too big or too hard or just too much, I blamed other people. It was a really, really lame attempt to avoid grieving. I got angry and decided that systems of government, culture, organizations, Instagram, And of course, church were the reason I was not okay. I wish I could tell you that this was the first and only time I landed here, but I visited this place so often because if it's your fault, then it's not mine and I don't have to take any responsibility. And this is like a big piece of ooey gooey chocolate cake for my pride. My pride cannot get enough of this way of thinking. Inside, I felt like a dragon, like a beast that didn't have the courage to burn its own garbage so I would burn and smoke out everyone else's. I mean, I didn't show up like the dragon I'm describing because I've played with my imposters and false selves long enough to know how to hide and what hand to play in public. When control and pain and pride are some of the main stage players in your cast of characters, they can easily step in and play the lead. They aren't that happy to be an understudy anyway. All of these mechanisms exist in me to avoid sadness, hurt, loneliness, and grief. These are the things that connect me to humanity. They are what makes me tender and soft and a safe place. And honestly, I'm awesome at that for you or a group of people and even strangers. But for myself, I am still in process of rewiring because instead of kindness for those places in me that are human and just need to be held, I punish them. Because I was a mom of little kids, I was only involved in like two things, their school and church. So it was going to be one of them to receive the lashings of my pride. Church won and I became resentful and bitter towards them. I was never really that upset at all with my church. I I was resentful and bitter because in the last five years of my life, I had been pregnant 
five times. I had a miscarriage. I had three kids and I had a stillborn baby. And in the same five years, I took care of my dying mother while she had stage four breast cancer. And I was tired. I was so, so tired. And I was hormonal and I was sad. I was sad in like the marrow of my bone sad. And it was easy to make it the church's fault because the church was there. That's it. That's how easy it was. It was the church's fault because it existed. I took a seat on my throne of pride, which was actually a dumpster filled with my own crap that I refused to look at. And I started complaining to God that my church was not doing what I wanted them to do. I mean, the list of grievances was so stupid and short, but when pride is involved, the stupidest things can become like stone pillars, even though they're just really tiny little thin threads. One January Sunday morning during worship, I was asking God, God, please release us from this church. Let us go somewhere that looks more like me, more like how I want to worship and how I want to be fed. So self-righteous, right? If you're not a Christian and you have no idea what I'm saying, the term fed is usually used by the self-righteous. People like me who don't want to take accountability for their own growth and put the entirety of their maturity on the spoken word of the pastor who's supposed to feed them the food, which will make them grow and make them feel better about their own self-righteousness. The feeders take no responsibility for their own feeding. It's dumb. It's honestly embarrassing, but it happens. Let's just hope and believe that we are all going to grow out of this, me included, But I was standing next to my husband and we were singing this song. It's called Nothing I Hold On To. And I was just singing this song with every part of me and simultaneously praying the exact opposite. The lyrics of the song go like this. I lean not on my own understanding. My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven. I give it all to you, God, trusting that you'll make something beautiful out of me. I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open because there's nothing I hold on to. My hands were raised. I was crying, crying because I was sad and I was tired and because I wanted more and I wanted relief. And I also didn't want to do any more work. God spoke to my heart. And he asked me a question. Do you want it to be easy or do you want it to be good? Okay, this made me so angry and frustrated that I actually looked up like a petulant little child who was like about to stick their tongue out. And I just made this dumb face at the ceiling. Thankfully, God can interpret my childlike arrogance. And he asked me again, do you want it to be easy or do you want it to be good? Crap. I just like started crying harder because I wanted both easy. I said, I'm like, I want it easy, God. I wanted to have what I knew would heal me. And in my mind, that looked like this place where I could walk in and worship until all my sorrow turned to joy and pray until I could feel the glory fall. And I could hear the Lord speak to me directly. And I wanted that place to be my church. So yes, God, I want it to be easy, easy. Take me to the place where all of that exists so that I can just walk in and I can drink. 
This actually is a good and holy desire. But what I also wanted was to walk into a building and have all my hurts and aches just be gone. And for relief to come without having to do anything about it. I wasn't really to let go of any of my pride, so I wanted him to ignore that. Oh, and also, I wanted him to leave some of my need to control. And I wanted to not be angry and not be sad. I wanted God to meet me in the pew, lay his hands on me, and just deliver me from every single thing that kept me bound. And I wanted it now. Oh, and did I mention that this imaginary place still didn't require me to do anything? But then, you know, as it goes, another chorus plays. Gosh, sometimes you could be in the midst of the most amazing pastor giving the most brilliant sermon. But it's a line in a worship song that just slays you. So another chorus played, and I just sighed a big, deep sigh. And honestly, I think I even whispered a few curse words. And then I said, good. I want it to be good. I cried even more, honestly, because I knew, I knew that my desire for good would mean that easy was probably not going to stick around. So I want good, God. But what about my church? Don't you love that even in my like attempt to align myself with God, my pride had to make a statement? Oh, gosh. Oh, my arrogance. My arrogance is so humiliating. God said in the kindest and strongest voice, the wave of the spirit is coming and I want you to pray it in. What? You're giving me a freaking job? What the heck, God? I'm tired. I'm sad. I am grieving. I, I, I. And he said again, you said you wanted good, not easy. I don't remember what the service was about or what the pastor said, because I sat and wept, having a little pity party in my seat. I was processing what I heard the Lord say to me. And I felt like I understood what he was asking me to do. It took about an hour, but I sort of had to figured it out. Or at least I thought I did. Every Sunday, an hour and a half before church, I was going to come and pray over the building. I was going to anoint every seat with oil and I was going to pray in the spirit. Just to, just seriously to clarify, I am not suggesting that the Holy Spirit was not already in my church because it was. This was going to be a sacrifice and it was, it was going to cost my whole family something. Doing this meant that my husband would have to get all the kids ready for church and come alone. It meant that the little sleep I had was going to be even less. On the one day we'd be together as a family, we would start the morning separated. This may seem like totally insignificant, but in a 15 month period of time, my husband and I cremated our daughter and my mother and the three little kids we had and each other, they were the most precious thing we had. So even a little time apart triggered extreme grief. This was going to cost something and I already felt totally bankrupt. When I started this, by the way, I didn't even ask permission. I was so arrogant that I just showed up and did what I wanted to do. 
and my pride used my obedience to justify my resentment. Guys, I was basically a huge fool, but an obedient one. The pastors and the staff, they never told me not to come. In fact, they welcomed me. They thanked me. And their kindness made my self-righteousness so uncomfortable. One, two, third Sunday, I was going through the motions, just straight up obedience. My heart was not in it. I was praying under my breath and I would say things like, really, God, this is what you want. But week four, week four was when I broke. I was walking in between the aisles and praying over each chair, laying my hands on the backs, like just where people would lean and settle in. I got to a chair about midway through the row, midway through the auditorium, and I stopped. Something was just different. My heart started beating really strong, and I started to feel something besides my own anger and grief and sadness. I felt love. Even when you are being a total turd, which I absolutely was, God can still speak to you. And he did. In my grumbling obedience, he showed up. And I was flooded with love. Not my love, but the Father's love for this person sitting in that chair. And I don't know who that person was. And I didn't know who was going to sit there. I mean, we have three services. So it was one of three different people. But my gosh, you guys, God loved this person. And I was feeling the weight of his affection. I couldn't even stand. So I just sat and I wept. And when I say flooded with his love, this is this is what I mean. Like all of me was concerned, connected to, like completely for whoever this human being was. My body, my heart, and my mind's posture was so in tune toward this person, this human, and I saw them as his child. The love I have known for my own children is like the closest reference I could give you for what this felt like. But I couldn't even sit in a chair because it felt like a weighted blanket was like on my shoulders. And the more I felt his love, the heavier the blanket was. And so I laid on the floor. The worship band kept rehearsing and, and volunteers were getting the room ready. People were working on the lights and the sound. And I was on the floor, undone with how much the father loved this person who was going to sit in this chair. I pulled it together and I lifted myself off the floor and moved to the very next chair. And down I went again on the floor because the weight was just too heavy. This person had even more affection. And this time I was also filled with delight. I gathered myself together and moved on to the next chair. And again, the flood of love and delight and affection came. But now like hope was added. Chair after chair, after chair, until I was worn out. But I was worn out with joy. And I didn't even know that was possible. But I had to tap out. I didn't even make it through two-thirds of the auditorium. But I want to tell you what happens 
when you feel God's love for someone. When you feel it, even like the smallest measure of how he feels towards them, you love them like that. You feel that delight over them. You forget what bothered you. You don't even see their imperfections. You just see his glory all over them. I don't believe I even experienced a drop in the ocean of his love for his people. I don't know if I could have held more than a drop because it was too much. It was just too big. His complete and total joy in who we are to him, it's just, it's too much for like a human to hold. And I think, I do think only Jesus knew because because of knowing that he carried his own cross and he died on it because the weight of that was not more than the weight of the love. Love has always been the most powerful force that has ever existed. And I felt that power and that force for the people in my church. Guys, my my pride, it could not compete with this. The father's delight and affection for his children, it just trampled my self-righteousness. And that day, I felt his love for the church, my church, my beautiful, perfectly imperfect brilliant cornerstone church of Boulder Valley. I'd been going to this church since I was 19 years old, but on that day as like a 38 year old woman, I fell madly in love with my church because I understood in whatever capacity I could, the deep unending love my God had for every person in there. I was still sad and I was still angry but I didn't want to run. I didn't want to run from those feelings anymore. And in this beautiful, brilliant act of praying for someone else, I released myself into God's hands and I trusted that he would love me through these things that were just too big. He loved these people that way and he loved me this way too. And I had known that, but I'd forgotten And there was no one I needed to blame anymore. What I knew in that place was that I could have every feeling, good or bad, and I didn't have to punish anyone for it, not even myself. It was okay to want more, to need more, and to still show up and to offer something. He can just figure all that out. On that day, On that fourth Sunday that I prayed, my church changed because I changed. I became a contributor and not a consumer. For almost 18 months, I prayed every Sunday morning until the burden lifted and other mighty warriors took it over. But in that time, God and I, we did work. We tilled soil. We planted a garden and we started to watch it grow. And trust me, we threw out a lot of rocks and weeds. It's just amazing how much pride and self-righteousness you can collect over a lifetime of loving the Lord. But the more I offered, the freer I became. The more it cost me something, both physically and emotionally, the richer I became. But this was the best. I'm going to tell you guys, this was the thing that changed me the most. I was becoming soft again and tender in a way that I don't know if I'd ever been. 
There was a gentleness in me that was not just for others, but for myself. God was teaching me how to be kind to myself while revealing his goodness and kindness to his children. He allowed me to watch him heal others while he was healing me. He invited me into his work. How cool is that? And he did it because it was the work he was teaching me to do. He loved me right where I was at and he asked for my pride and gave me mercy in its place. Mercy for myself and mercy for others. Guys, this is a good God. This is what a good father does. And this all happened because he spoke and I listened. God speaks and he is speaking now and it's He's not just speaking to the super spiritual. He's not just speaking to pastors and elders and people in authority. You could be walking around with a dumpster full of sin and God is still speaking to you. I know this because I have had a dumpster full of sin and he called my name and he asked me if I wanted to travel lighter. I said yes and he lit that dumpster on fire and from those ashes we grew a garden In some seasons, we grow an orchard. In some seasons, I see that I've become kind of a trash collector again. And we have another dumpster fire. But in every season, he's with me. There is a presence in each season. And in all of it, he's speaking. And this is what makes the gospel so, so, so good. Yes, I mean, the gospel is good because we are forgiven. And... And our sins are forgiven and we spend eternity with God, but eternity starts now. And I don't know how you are, but I need that fellowship now. And he wants that too. I mean, without God speaking to us and without our listening, the gospel is cheapened because we are not getting all that Christ paid for. His blood paid for forgiveness and it paid for communion. And this is honestly what I cannot shut up about communion and connection, this divine intersecting and interjecting his words to our hearts and our minds so we can throw off all the crap that hinders us and we can actually be free. When he speaks to me, the beautiful exchange that is always being played out in the natural and the supernatural, the the beauty for ashes, death for life, your will, not my will. When he speaks, this exchange becomes possible. He speaks and I'm invited to exchange my pride for joy, my demands for surrender. It's like, it's like breathing and always exchanging the old for new. And he's just always inviting me into this. I honestly, I don't know where to begin unless he moves my heart and he calls my name and tells me where to go. And just to be clear, I am not the poster child for obedience but I want to be. Honestly, I'm becoming. I'm, I'm a person who's becoming just like you. I need him to talk to me and he does. Every single story I will share on this podcast will include God speaking to me. It's actually the entire reason for this podcast. I believe that God is speaking to all of us and the more I press into serving, to ministry, to my job and just just living, I, I hear the same thing over and over again. I hear this, God doesn't speak to me. I mean, I hear this daily. 
if no one ever told you this or no one ever taught you in church, I'm telling you right now, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, they are speaking to you and you can hear their voice. You are designed to hear their voice. And the good news is you even know God's voice and you know the counterfeit. Just read John 10, 3. Okay, here is a simple way. I'm going to show you this. I'm going to we're just do this in two seconds. The simple exercise to show you exactly what I mean. Okay, have you ever gone about your day, just a normal day, and you have a thought that makes no sense, but it just comes like this and just comes across your mind. No one likes you. Or you are totally unlovable. Or even this one. You should just go kill yourself. These thoughts did not originate in you. They're actually lies and lies come from Satan. If you hear these lies, then you can hear in the supernatural, which means you can hear the truth and it means you can hear from God. You guys, that is so freaking rad. I mean, this is what makes communion with God so good that he wants to know us and he wants us to know him. And what better way than to talk to each other? You may be thinking, Tracy, I don't know how to do that. And if you were in my head and we were having this imaginary conversation, you would hear me say, that's totally okay. The Holy Spirit is an excellent teacher and I'm kind of rad at it too. And I'm super passionate about it. And it's what I'm going to spend this in every episode of this podcast trying to do to equip the saints to hear the voice of God. And in this imaginary conversation, we would smile at each other, hug, we would go get coffee and we'd probably become best friends. Guys, After my year and a half of praying and falling in love with my church, I still wanted things to change. But instead of requiring my church to do something for me, God then said, what now will you offer them? During this entire season, my husband, Matt, and I had been talking about wanting this place where we could worship and experience the move of the Holy Spirit. We wanted to be around prophetic people and people whose faith made our faith need to stretch. We had great examples of this. I mean, we had been going down to the International House of Prayer in Kansas City for almost 20 years, and we've gone to worship events and conferences and inner healing events. And we just, you know, we wanted to have that encounter and we really longed for it on a more regular basis. We wanted to have an encounter with God, but even more, we wanted to be a part of a group of people who were encountering God in a tangible and life-changing way. I think really what we wanted was revival. And maybe in some way we wanted to contain that revival in like a three-hour time period because that was really all we could afford for a babysitter. We didn't know really what we wanted. We just wanted more. I mean, we were frustrated because we knew that this desire was good, but frustrated because it felt impossible. But frustration is not always a problem. And I'm learning that my desire for something or someone to change and that frustration, it's actually an invitation from God to create something new. Out of the ache birthed a longing and a desire And that developed into an action, an emotion. And all of that could have not happened without surrender and, of course, obedience. Matt had 
he had been reading about this group of Celts in the 1400s who called the Holy Spirit the wild goose because he couldn't be tamed. I, of course, thought that was so amazing and brilliant and found wanted to find any way we could to steal that name because it was just so cool. And in like a random conversation about these men, I felt this nudge to just do something, which is kind of what I do. Um, So I sent out a text to our life group and invited them to the Wild Goose, a worship and prayer night. We hired babysitters and 20 kids were cared for by these awesome teenage girls. And 12 of us gathered in my neighbor Melissa and Ian's house. We sang and prayed and we asked for more. And then we experienced the more. After this, we walked back down to our house where the kids had totally destroyed the place and they were having an absolute blast. And we just ate dinner together without thinking about it or over planning it. The 12 of us spent like six hours that day communing and connecting and talking to God. It it was perfect and it was imperfect. I understand now that the gift of asking God for something and taking the frustration to him is that he will always bring something new and better. Looking back now, it seems obvious that instead of God encouraging me to leave a church and go to another one, he was true to his character and decided to redeem a relationship and restore an absence of love. And let's just be honest, he decided to grow me up. On June 24th, 2018, 12 of us had the very first wild goose. Since then, we've met only about 12 times. And the last time we met was at a farm with about 100 people. And it's changed and it's morphed into this people and this place where we want to equip people to hear the voice of God and practice offering these words to to give others what what we heard the Lord say. And then we worship and it's morphed into this podcast. We will meet again as the wild goose. But in the meantime, we have this. I believe in the local church and I believe in the global church. I believe in mega churches and house churches. I actually don't think one one denomination is better than the other. I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing if you go to church every week or once a year. I just know that God is so wildly and madly in love with us. And without meeting together, we forget that. I believe that we reveal more of his goodness when we are together to talk about the glory of God, to hold each other in our sadness and to encourage each other, to comfort each other and to call each other up into a new place. I believe that we have to talk. We have to talk about truth and we have to speak about the uncomfortable things, the hard things and the messy things because the cross is messy and he's the only one who can clean up that mess. We need prophets and apostles and pastors and priests and healers and evangelists and missionaries. We need the greeters. We need the people making coffee. And we need people who do their best just to get themselves to church. I believe that the body needs to come together and stop shying away from their own glory and start offering themselves to the bride, even when they're not perfect. We can still offer the good Even when we're walking with anger and grief and pride, God has a way, but we have to show up. We have to offer him all of our mess. I believe 
that God is good and that his love can actually hold it all, especially when we find it hard to hold ourselves up. I believe that God loves a good and holy dumpster fire and that he longs to burn up the things we are carrying that no longer serve us. And I believe he uses those ashes to till new soil and grow new gardens. I believe that God is speaking. And I believe that when we listen, we have intimacy and communion. And I believe that this is the gospel. I can't wait to talk to you guys again soon.